In the Reading Corner today, I'm very pleased to be welcoming Serena Patel and we're going to be talking about her mystery series, Anisha Accidental Detective. We're on the fourth book in the series uh, and we're going to be talking about that in some depth. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Actually, this has all happened or it appears on the surface to have happened quite quickly for you. Your first book was only published last year, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, the first book was published in March. And then the second one was out in September. We did the third one in July and the fourth one's just come out. So yeah, it's been it's been really fast. (laughs) We tend to work sort of two books ahead um, at any one time. And so book two had already been written and I think was being illustrated at that time by Emma. And I had already started writing the third book, Granny Trouble. Um, And then I was editing that during the first lockdown. Um, And then that sort of came out, obviously, that didn't come out till this July. So, yeah, so it's it's, I'm always working on more than one book at any one time. Surprise you can keep your head around all of those plots and all of those mysteries. Anyway, (laughs) we're going to talk about an issue in a moment. But before we get there, I'd really like to know a little bit more um, about you and also when and why you started writing? Uh, I've always written, uh, loved writing as a child, um, had creative writing awards at school. If you'd have asked me when I was sort of nine, ten, you know, what would your dream job be? I would have definitely said children's author because I loved books so, so very much. Loved going to the library. Um, If it was ever my birthday or Christmas, I would always ask for books as my present or, you know, money for books. Um, And I didn't think that was something I could be. I couldn't see any authors who looked like me or had my background. I had a very fixed view of what an author looked like, of, of, you know, the kind of lifestyle they had. And it just wasn't the same as mine. And I couldn't see any characters who looked like me in books either. And I I don't think I really realised the impact of that until I was much older. But when I look back now, I think that probably pounded the idea that people like us didn't do that you know we don't write stories our stories are not out there um and so I just sort of wrote that off as a bit of a dream you know I just think that that's never that's not going to happen there's no point reaching that but I did always write you know I kept diaries I used to write poetry all through my life whenever I was kind of um struggling a bit or you know just looking for something to do I would I would turn to story writing um, when my niece was born, my niece is 16 now, but when she was little, she would say to me, you know, auntie, make me up a story. So I used to make up these, you know, we'd just be sitting and I'd make up these stories for her. So it never really went away. But I don't think I really thought it was something I could pursue seriously until after I had my own children. So there was a big, big gap between being a child and then becoming a mother myself for me to actually think, you know, this is a dream I really want to pursue and, and maybe it's possible. I did read on your uh, biography on your website that in actual fact it was Roald Dahl that, you know, you enjoyed reading when you were at school and that Matilda in particular, actually that is one of his perhaps more innocuous <laughs> books. So there's a sort of tension there really, isn't there? Because Dahl obviously did get so many children reading But actually, we've come to understand that some of the values in those books, you know, they're not very good about race. They're not very good about women. So I wondered whether when you were reading them as a younger person, whether you noticed that. 
and how you feel about them now? Those were the books that were available. Those were the books that were popular. Um, there were the books that, you know, I, I, I wanted to read. But I think I didn't really see the impact of not seeing myself in books. And so I just accepted what was in front of me. So I, I was the only child of colour in my entire primary school. And so I was always other. Um, and I was always different. And I that came to be normal. And I think not seeing myself in books kind of compounded that idea that you're different, you're other, and actually almost invisible. And that's probably how I felt. You know, I never felt like I was reflected in stories. I just accepted that that was the way it was. And similarly, when reading books by authors like Dahl, by Enid Blyton, you know, I just sort of didn't question it, I suppose. And because nobody around me questioned it, I suppose that just made it seem like it was normal. Um, And I had experienced racism as a child. We lived in a primarily white neighbourhood. You know, I was accustomed to being called racist names across the street. There was racist graffiti in the area we lived in. So I think, all you know, you don't realise the impact of these things when you're a child, but you realise when you're a grown-up and you look back with reflection, with more awareness, you know, and you realise how bad that actually was. And when I look back now, you know, I, I know, and, and as you say, you know, we, we do question those books now and we do realise and we do have awareness. And I, it makes me feel sad, really, that, you know, this author that I really looked up to and, you know, wanted all of his books. It's, it's like being let down, isn't it? Because that's somebody you really looked up to and actually their views and the things that they've put into those books are, are actually really harmful. So, yeah, it's sad, um, you know, and I and I hope that you know, we all know that we, you know, we need to do better by our children. We, you know, we, we need to think about what we're putting out there and books are, can be a really powerful thing for children. And so we should be putting the very best out there that we can. Which brings us very nicely (laughs) to talking about Anisha. (laughs) And she is, well, it says accidental detective. And perhaps we could start with a little bit um, of an introduction to her as a character what's she like uh, so Anisha is 10 um she is very she's a very logical person she likes what she knows uh, she loves her books she loves reading she loves science she's very inquisitive she will always stand up for what's right and if she can see an injustice or somebody being blamed for something they didn't do she will always try and help and, and try and stand them but she hates the limelight you know she doesn't like to be under the spotlight at all she'll always be kind of behind the scenes if she can and she has a very close friend she has a best friend called Milo and he's always with her you know whatever they're doing they're together Um, and then Anisha has this extended family so she lives with her mum and dad and her granny Jazz Uh, granny Jazz is quite a kind of core character to the family really you know she's she's uh, feisty she's mischievous but she's so so supportive of Anisha, and I really enjoy writing Granny Jazz, actually. Um, and then she's got her extended family, so her auntie Bindi, her uncle Tony, her cousins Mindy and Manny, and there's always something going on, um, you know, whether it be in the first book there's a big family wedding and a kidnapped groom, in the second book there's a science fair and an exploded foam volcano, which Anisha gets the blame for. Um, in the third book, they're on a road trip, family road trip, which I'm sure lots of families can identify with. Um, and they go to Leicester and Granny Jazz gets arrested for the for the theft of a jewel 
Um, and Anisha, of course, has to step in and save her granny from jail. Um, and then in the most recent book in Showstoppers, um, there's a school play and they have one week to put this school play on. And Anisha, of course, this is not her thing at all because, you know, she doesn't like the spotlight. Um, but she ends up being the director's assistant. Uh, but somebody's messing with their musical and trying to make things go wrong. And so, of course, Anisha sees how important this musical is to her friends, um, in particular Mindy. And so she decides to help and try and investigate and figure out who's trying to ruin the big day. Um, and so, yeah, so the series has always got mysteries in it. There's a lot, big focus on families and friendship. And that's those are the things that are important to Anisha, really. And, and you know, that's the kind of core message of the series, really. So does Anisha have any flaws or is her flaw, is her main flaw about wanting to avoid the limelight? I think sometimes she doesn't believe in herself very much. She does kind of hit stumbling blocks sometimes and thinks, oh, I just can't, you know, I just can't do it. Um, but that's what her friends are there for and her family. And they always kind of, you know, give her a bit of a boost and tell her she can do it, you know, and help her and, and are there by her side. You know, sometimes perhaps she kind of grabs hold of a theory and sort of runs with it and it's not quite the right theory. But that hopefully that adds to the story and kind of gives us our twists and turns for the mystery. Absolutely. I have to say I love her family. They feel very real. Um, and that's probably because they are. I mean, they probably are based on lots of people that you know. And you, I, I imagine that you are putting elements of your life into those stories. And that's why it feels so authentic to me. Is that true? Yeah, definitely. I think um, the, the whole series really has been hugely inspired by real life and by our extended family. You know, my husband is one of five siblings. Some of them have partners, some of them have children. So when we're all together, it's quite a lot of us. And that really was kind of the core idea behind the series, that when there's lots of family members together, there's always something funny going on or, you know, there's so much potential for disaster um, and humour. And that's where it came from, really. And, and you're right, you know, some of the characters do have elements of our family members in them. Granny Jazz herself is uh, inspired by my own grandmother and by my mother-in-law. Auntie Bindi is inspired by a few different people. I think I might even be a little bit Auntie Bindi. Um, you know, Anisha, you know, a little bit of my younger self, a lot of my daughter, my daughter's head. And, you know, she is very much like Anisha. And I take huge inspiration from my children because they come home and I get the kind of lowdown of everything that's happened in their school day. And, you know, this person said this in the playground and this person did this in the classroom. And, and I, I think I'm storing all of that up. And then sometimes it does find its way into the story so that's probably why it does feel quite quite real and I think sometimes when I've spoken to children about you know where they get ideas where they can get ideas for their writing they don't often realize that they can draw on their own life experiences they think a story is something that happens over there and yeah. real life is over here but actually it's the best thing to mine for stories. Definitely, yeah. And I, and I do say when I go into schools, you know, we do a workshop where I ask the children to think of something quite ordinary that's happened and let's, you know, amplify it. Let's make it big and silly and daft and, and make it entertaining for the purposes of a story. Quite often you get the most fantastic ideas out of something really small that's, you know, an argument they've had with a sibling or, you know, their mum went to the fridge and all the food came flying out. You know, you get some really great ideas, really funny stories starters and they're kind of amazing I came up with that myself you know out of something really simple 
Now, the school play, it's a great one to um, have at the core of a mystery. And in this particular one, you know, it, it allows us to talk about superstition and sabotage and misdirection. What's going on with this school play? <laughs> so the, the, they've, they've entered a competition and the prize is a uh, summer school place at this great arts academy in the city. And um, they're taking part. They've got one week to put on a musical. They've got a collection of themes that they could pick from. And Anisha's school pick out Einstein. So they've been, And on the surface, you think, oh, a musical about Einstein, you know, well, how's that going to go? Um, but actually what they do is they focus in on the other elements of Einstein's life. So, for example, he was a keen sailor, although he wasn't very good at it. Um, he enjoyed playing the violin. And there's all these other things, all these elements that they bring out. And of course, everybody's clambering to get a leading part. So um, there's all they have to go through an audition process. And Anisha's first reaction is that she doesn't want to be part of it at all. So she realises she can be part of it in a different way so she signs up to be the director's assistant and helps her teacher Miss Jive but quite quickly things start to go wrong as they often do in Anisha's world and they she realizes that somebody is trying to derail the production and you know stop it from going ahead. One of the things that I was going to ask you or to mention is that you have this lovely way of feeding in some little bits about, you know, his wife was actually quite important, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I try to. Um, and, you know, I think that makes it interesting, something that you didn't know about that person, you know. And also, um, you know, I think it's important that we, you know, have these uh, these hidden figures in history that we can kind of talk about and, and learn about. Because I'm, all, you know, I'm always learning new things, um, and particularly through my children, because they're learning history from a different perspective than we learnt, you know, at the, the history we learnt at school was quite restricted. And so they're always telling me facts that I didn't know. Um, and I think that's quite nice to be able to put little tidbits like that in the books. And sometimes you put little footnotes in just to give us a bit more information, a bit more information about Diwali. And yes. It's a sort of, which in itself is quite funny. Yeah, um, that, actually, that idea actually came uh, very early on in the series from my agent. And that was something she suggested that we do. And, and readers seem to really like it. And I think it's nice because it's in Anisha's voice. You know, it's not it's not done in a kind of a, a formal way. It's it's all in Anisha's voice. And it's like she's telling you that bit of information. And I think that comes across quite nicely. Yeah. It'd be lovely to hear a bit if you'd like to read us a yes. section from this story. Oh, yes, I'd love to. So I'm going to pick up the story uh, when they're in the auditions. So they've just had um, the auditions for Einstein um, and I won't spoil how that goes because that's that's quite a funny scene but um, they kind of settle back down again and now they're going to watch the next set of auditions. When everything's settled down again it's time for the auditions for the leading lady Mileva. First being a butt struts out wearing what looks like a fake fur coat. Two of her besties stand either side of her pricking her hair and spraying hairspray at her. She swats them away. I shake my head. Only being about would have an entourage for a school play audition. Milo stands at the side of the hall looking quite scared. If he does win the lead role, being married to Bina would probably make it a lot less fun. Miss Jive gives her a thumbs up. OK, show us what you've got, Bina. Good luck. Bina smiles sweetly and starts. I'm Malaver, Einstein's wife. 
He adores me, but I think he spends too much time with his stupid experiments. Miss Jive splutters as she's sipping a cup of tea and sprays it everywhere. Nina, dear, that's not the sort of thing she'd say, is it? There's lots of great material you could have used for inspiration in the script. What about the scene where she's helping him with his equations? Maleva was very supportive of Einstein. Have you read the scene at the kitchen table? Vina rolls her eyes. No, but I think she would be annoyed that he paid so much attention to his work. And you said we have to act how we think they'd act. This is my interpretation of the role. Miss Jive frowns. Yes, well, that's not exactly what I meant. Have you got a song you can show us? Vina sighs, annoyed. Well, yeah, OK. I didn't like any of the songs in the script, so I created my own number. I would use it in the play if I were you. Anyway, Layla, Amani, get out here, she hisses to her friends. They totter out from behind the stage curtain, grinning nervously. Vina starts her audition again, this time with her entourage. They do a weirdly aggressive song about being the best, but they're so out of tune. I have to cover my ears, which makes Bina give me a hard stare. They finish with Bina in the centre doing a star-shaped pose and shaking her hair wildly. Miss Jive clears her throat. Um, I think we've seen enough, Bina. Is there anyone else back there who wants to audition for this role? Silence. I can just picture it. Were you ever in a school play yourself? The only play I can ever remember being in is in primary school and being, I think I was one of the seven dwarves. I think we did a little Christmasy type production of, of Snow White. And I think I was one of the seven dwarves. But yeah, that's, that's the only one I can remember. There's nothing quite like a school play for pulling children together, actually. It's, it's, it's a, a really interesting thing. I wanted to ask you about some of your tips, really, for writing. So... With writing a mystery, a crime mystery, plot's really important, isn't it? So do you find that you have to have that all mapped out at the beginning or do you yes. find, discover what's going to happen as you go along? Well, it's mainly planning and plotting up front and then there is a little bit of discovering as you go along because with all the will in the world, you know, you can have the most the, the tightest plot, the, you know, the best laid plans and all that. But as you're writing, you might find that something's not working quite so well as you thought it would. But I do now because we're we're releasing two books a year. So it's quite an intense schedule that we're on. So I do have to do a lot of planning because otherwise I would just, you know, I have a ten tendency to write off on a tangent and then I'd have to kind of come back and fix that in the editing stage. So we sort of try and nail down the story as much as possible up front and agree that with my editors, you know, to make sure we, we think all the elements of the story are working. And then I'll start writing. Um, and I write my first drafts quite quickly. So I write them sort of anywhere between four and eight weeks. And then we kind of go into the editing process. And we might edit three or four times before it goes off to Emma for, for illustrating. So, yeah, lots and lots of planning. <laughs> And what do you consider to be the elements, the ingredients of a really good mystery story? So I think obviously we've got to have a detective, uh, a detective that we're rooting for, really, that, you know, we want them to solve the mystery. And, and we can see their reasons for why they want to solve the mystery as well. Um, I think you've got to have, you know, a good crime. Um, obviously, writing for a younger audience, have to think about 
what crimes are going to be appropriate for the series. Um, you need suspects um, and people behaving suspiciously. You need clues. You know, you need the kind of clues that are leading you the right way. And of course, you need red herrings. You know, they're essential to a mystery to lead our detective down the wrong path and, you know, give us those twists and turns. Um, and you need a satisfactory reveal, really, because, you know, we want to know who did it. We want to know why. We want to be convinced of their reasons. Um, and then another thing that's really important to mysteries is the setting as well, you know, to have that interesting setting and for it to be almost a closed setting so that, you know, your number of suspects is limited and can see how the detective comes to their conclusion. Um, so, you know, that can be that can be quite challenging to come up with an interesting setting as well. Mm, really good set of ingredients there. And I know that you've also been involved in another mystery crime or crime mystery project with Robin Stevens. Yes. Maybe you could take just a few minutes and you could tell us about that. Yeah, so this is the Very Merry Murder Club anthology uh, published by Farshaw. And uh, it's 13 of some of the, you know, the most current authors. We've got a really diverse and inclusive set of stories and it's just a really wonderful thing to be part of, actually. Um, and obviously, Robin is, you know, queen of crime and, you know, an author I look up to. And her series has been hugely successful. So, it, you know, it's a big honour to be asked. We sort of came up with a list of authors we'd like to work with. And I think one of the things for me was that, you know, it comes back to this idea that when we were growing up, books perhaps weren't so representative, didn't give a reflection of society and actually the crime genre I think particularly you know wasn't inclusive and, and didn't kind of have those different elements and so it's really nice to be able to invite authors from all different backgrounds to contribute to the anthology and to have a really fresh set of stories with all different environments and settings and characters um, you know and I think it's a really nice mix and the stories are just fantastic so yeah it's a real real honour to be involved with it. It's brilliant. Things are changing, you, you know, uh, for the better, both in terms of characters in books and also, you know, the writers, the illustrators, and hopefully the publishing industry more widely is changing as well. What other things do you think need to be put in place to help young writers come forward and feel that this is something that they could do? It's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, I you know, I think one of the things is, is that Publishing needs change all the way through, um, you know, from the top down. And I, th I think that's something we recognise needs to happen. You know, I think authors that are already published, just going out and encouraging young people. And, you know, I, I every school I go to, there will be a child that puts their hand up and says, I want to be an author. Um, and that really fills my heart because, you know, I we never had author visits when I was growing up. And so I think, you know, to see an author who looks like you, who is publishing books, I think that can be a powerful thing as well and, and, you know, empower children to really live those dreams of an aim for them. I think it just needs the, the effort that we have. I think there just needs to be more and, you know, and all of us working together really to, to make the most inclusive and positive and empowering books that we can. Well, Serena, thank you so much for writing empowering books and for joining me in the Reading Corner today to tell me more about them. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been fun. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. 
To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.